Welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Neil D'Souza, and I've got a special guest for you today. This man has been in the area of financial planning for over 20 years. He has got two degrees, over nine designations. He has written numerous articles, been interviewed, done podcasts. He is a teacher. He is a writer. He is a commentator. He has done so much in the financial planning industry, and he is an expert also in practice management and fintech. Our guest today, Jason Pereira. Well, uh, Jason, of course, thank you for coming on the show today. Really appreciate you being willing to share your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I... Uh... I, there, there's a quote that you said, I'd, I'd like to get right into it and ask you this question. <laughs> okay. And that was, you're, you're, when you're constantly being held back, never lose sight of what could be uh, if you were set free. I said that? Or who said that? <laughs> you, you said that. <laughs> God, that I you might want to Google that and see if I false if I falsely attributed if I to attribute that to someone else. Um, you know, I, I will say that that quote. I make sure you get to see where, where where you found that. I'm actually going to say that that quote is quite honestly um, been very indicative of my life in many capacities, mm. right? Um, and I think it's a it's I, it largely stems from the system that most young people come into when they're in the financial services industry, right? So you come in, you're like all excited to be working for a big bank, XYZ, whatever else it is. You got the big logo on your card, all this other stuff. And then you find out that despite the fact they probably told you you were gonna do all this wonderful stuff, make this money and help all these people. Oh yeah, here's, we. what we really care about is this target and this and you doing this and this and then whatever else. And it's just like, well, two types of people emerge from that. There are those, or three types. There are those who just do it without questioning. There are those who do it and realize that this is really not like in the benefit of people. And then there are those who basically realize that and just still embrace it. Right. And last category, I don't want to know as human beings, but the other ones, the ones in the middle, which is the ones I, I, I account for the ones where like, Oh God, this is the wrong way to do things. Um, try to figure out, you know, there are aspects of the business you loved or you liked because that's what brought you into it in the first place. And you know, you basically start asking yourself questions and start looking for people to to take to learn from as to how you can do something, something different. So you oftentimes will find yourself in, especially in the early days, constrained, unable to do what you believe is right or what you think is right or what you think is best. But putting yourself, you know, understanding what's possible when if you already get out of that environment and building building your career such that you can get out of the environment and into something where it is possible that is something that you shouldn't lose sight of because if not, I always say like my industry is, you know, chewed up more promising young people and spit them out than we could ever count simply because they just, you know, didn't want to sell more insurance to their parents. Right. Like it's, it is what it is, but it's, you know, there, there's, and that's not just indicative of only this industry. I mean, I think there's a lot of industries where you go in and you're like, wow, this is, this is not in the best interest of the people we're serving. Yeah. And, and frankly, that's not to say that you can't do the right job in that industry. It's just that that company's made a number of strategic choices that it's not the case, but don't let it crush your soul. Find out, find a way to eke out those wins and find a way to eventually just no longer have to deal with that pressure over time. Wow. Absolutely. Well, so let's, let's back up then a, a little bit because 
you you actually have always wanted to be in the financial industry. Am I right? Well, I'm going to say I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do with my life. Okay. Until, <laughs> until like, I was never I was never the kid who said he wants to be a fireman, right? Like I, I just like I don't know what I want to do. Uh, but when I was approaching the end of my my high school tenure, <clears throat> I knew that I didn't want to go away to university, spend money on a on a degree in a, in the wrong field, right? Because that could be a very costly mistake. Um, so I decided to take up a co-op term and being a young adult male, a young male and, um, you know, liking money, uh, the financial industry appealed to me. Right. So I got placed with the one of the largest brokers in the country at one of the big downtown Toronto law firms. And I thought it was awesome to start. Right. And only through experience and seeing, you know, what the bank's goals were and what the priorities were and where the clients were getting that I realized to myself, like, this is not actually designed to help them accomplish anything. Like we, we would talk about it and whatever else, but you know, certain things that I would do, like I would see, I saw, I, I would start at one point I started doing the financial plans there, even though I probably wasn't fully qualified to do that, but I started doing some financial planning there. I saw the power that those things had that a couple of number, a couple of decisions could literally change the course of their financial future. And yet this was a afterthought product. This was the, you know, do you want fries with that? At the time, you know, the, to give him credit, he was one of the few advisors providing that service to a lot of clients, whereas the vast majority of people there just never even touched it. And, you know, that's where I kind of, at the time when I was kind of getting to the point where I, I stayed on post high school into university and then after university, I was starting to not even recognize myself that I was very dissatisfied with the industry, very unhappy with it. But mm. that was one of the things that I gleaned onto is, hey, like, this is where tangible benefit can be born. And, and I kind of took that nugget and ran with it. Wow. I, so how were, how were you able to get through those years when, cause you, you identified it very quickly, some of these shortfalls or perhaps it was, pitfalls. Quickly. It was years. It was years. Like mm. I was there for over five years in some capacity. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't think it was, it was, it was little by little, it was death by a thousand cuts, but towards the end, I mean, to his credit, you know, he, my boss recognized and actually sat down with me and said, you know, is our relationship coming to an end? And I was kind of struck by it. I was like, no, I'm, you know, just kind of feeling out of it and I'll go back and do all this. And, but I think he, he saw that I was done. He saw that I was done and I didn't realize it. So, but it was, it was death by a thousand cuts. It was seeing a lot of stuff that I was just not pleased with as a human being and morally, whatever else, not saying him, but just in general, like with the industry yeah. and yeah, came to that conclusion. But when, when I, and, and frankly, you know, one of the things I will say that kind of kept me in the industry was that the market was garbage when I graduated. Like it was, we were in the middle of a, you know, postdoc conversation. And so the job market wasn't very good. And um, I got an opportunity to leave that and start a independent financial planning or investment practice. And only when I did that, did I start realizing that, okay, I understand mechanics of this business, but I actually don't understand how to structure a business whatsoever. Or like, you know, I understand the investment piece and I understand some of the planning piece, but how do I actually like service people in a way that's mutually beneficial? That started a very long, you know, education uh, of and a lot of a lot of soul searching and asking questions um, that basically led to kind of the model I wanted to create. Wow. OK, so I have to ask a question. Roughly, how old were you at that point when you're like you're on your own and you're moving in that direction? Well, let's put it this way. 17, when I started at, 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 at Scotia, well, I'll give it away. But I started, when I started at the brokerage firm and then um, left there at, so what would that be, 22? Left, yeah, left there at 22, started a, with, a, with a, another firm with another with a senior partner. With that relationship fell apart after five years. 
So mm-hmm. 27 years old, I went back to zero. Right. So wow. you know, built that from some from little something into a medium sized something. And then, you know, because that relationship was doomed, uh, basically st- went back to zero. Wow. How did, uh, what was that like, uh, having to start out again at 27? Well, you know, the timing was interesting cause it was 2007. So at first it was okay. And then it's just like, Oh my God, what did I do to myself? Like, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, it was, it was nerve wracking, right? It was nerve wracking, you know, to go to, to not be able to count on a paycheck for months on end. Right. right. Um, but that's, right. that's entrepreneurship. I'll never understand you know, people who th- seem to think I'm just going to hang a shingle and money's going to flow in the door. That's that's not how any business works. No, you, you're, if that happens, right. you're very lucky. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. So I since you asked, since you mentioned that, I've got to uh, ask about that because I hear a lot of I hear a lot of younger people that will that are getting into business. There's almost a culture going on right now where people are uh, almost excited to get into business because. They're going to make millions of dollars in business, but I think there's something missing there for what that's like to actually get into business and to have to yeah. go through those lean years. Uh, and but but still plant, be planting yeah. all the way all the way along. Can you say something to that? Yeah, I'll say a couple of things. First, to your statement about there's kind of a culture, and I think we're looking at the minority of people who speak out loudly, right? I think the majority of people I talk to are much more level-headed, but you know, those loud voices over overwhelm. And, and the number of times I come across statements by young individuals who are just like the delusion on how much money they can make and how quickly is just is striking, right? Like just literally they, they, you know, literally seem to think that, you know, they could become a billionaire in no time. And mm-hmm. it's like, if it was, if it was legitimately that easy on a planet of 7 billion people, do you really think that we'd have so few, we'd have, we'd have so few billionaires that we'd have to make a list? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, that's really it. You know, you can, the yeah. list of billionaires is a couple pages in a magazine, right? Do you really think that it's that easy and that whatever easy thing, and, and that if it's that easy that the rest of us just opted not to become billionaires, right? So, you know, that's the reality check. Um, yeah. There is, so, so the, the counterpoint to that is yes, I've had, I, I have had conversations where people ask me to speak to someone who's looking to start a business or get into a business. And the, I will tell you the getting into business is the, for yourself is the most bipolar thing you could ever opt into. Okay. The, are, there are days where you are so energetic and ready to literally tackle the universe. It is nuts. And then there are other, and then the next day you're like, Oh my God, what have I done to myself? Like my life is so much harder. Here's what it comes down to. Let's look at the actual like statistics of this. Okay. The average business in this country, right. And I've gotten this from some stats can years ago, um, incorporated or unincorporated works more than a 40 hour work week right? Does not work less, works more. Okay. Don't get me wrong. When you look at the successful business owners who take time off, that's, that's different. What you're, what you're ignoring there is the graveyard of evidence. You're ignoring the graveyard of businesses that failed. Okay. And that is a graveyard that is bigger than the number that are living, right? You have to keep that in mind. The, so the hours are greater. And when you actually break down the hourly comp, it is actually in most cases on average worse than the average paid employee. So, you know, that's not to say that you can't do exceptional things and earn exceptional money. But, yeah. you know, every couple of years, there's some sort of trend or some sort of fad or some sort of thing. I've had people sit down with me and say, like, 
oh, you know, like, oh, yeah, I came in this money. I want to buy a triple A franchise. And my response is, which franchises do you think you're going to buy? And they're like, you know, like a Starbucks. I'm like, that's not a franchise operation or corporate shops. It's like, or Tim Hortons. I'm like, there's, there's a multi, multi, multi year wait list. I'm not even sure if it's open, right? Like, like you know, they don't even, there's not even an, there's an assumption, right? There's an assumption. There's not, an, there's not a, they, and then they get smacked with the reality. And it's just like, oh, this is difficult. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, most businesses do not fail because the people running them are stupid. Most businesses fail because they failed for any number of reasons. Maybe the person's running is stupid, like what's possible. But the point <laughs> is, is that, you know, that life is not easy. Uh, entrepreneurship yeah. is not easy. Right. There yeah. is there is a reason why so few people get to. And, and actually, I'll, I'll say this as well, too. Just like in athletics. Right. Every industry, every industry. The majority of money is owned by the vast is earned by the vast minority of people, the top performers in that industry. Mm-hmm. So when you just look at the top of the pyramid and think to yourself, that's going to be me, right? That's the same thing as when you're an eight-year-old kid saying, I'm going to play in the NHL, not paying mm-hmm. attention to the massive pyramid of human beings and bodies it took to self-select in for the tiniest group of individuals. <laughs> not yeah, to say absolutely. you can't do it. Not right. to say you can't do it, but it's, you know... Odds are difficult on success, period. Well, I think one of the things that we that we see is that with social media, there there's a plethora of of these, uh, you know, people that are out there talking about their successes and how they've done this and done that. And on are top they of that, webinars? are they selling webinars on how to do exactly what they did? I'm sure. Yeah, you know what's I'm interesting sure. is not everybody can not everybody can can make their money by selling webinars on success, right? Like yeah. that's called that's called a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, but I think there's also the um, we've seen so much since the days of Kim Kardashian. Um, you know, and if anyone ever says, you know, what does she actually do for a talent? You know, there there's so Manip- many of these. <laughs> <laughs> she, manipulates you to, she manipulates you to care about someone you yeah. should never care about. That's it. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and I, I think there's something to be said about the, the people that are able to just fr- quite frankly, entertain with, yeah. you, you know, they're, they're the only value that is being provided is uh, pure entertainment and escapism. And there's something, there's something to be said about that w- without uh, trashing all of these individuals but I think that far too many people see how seemingly easy it was for them and think, well, there, there's nothing for me to, uh, to be able to do that and get there. Well, I mean, was it easy? She was born to the right family, had the right friends, had an unfortunate mm-hmm. video. But like there's, you know, the reality is, is that life is a series of, I mean, mm-hmm. we can talk about the concept of, of privilege versus non-privilege. That's fine. Like, but the reality is, is that even the most successful people in the world have to attribute some of their actual fortune to luck, right? Like that's the reality. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're lucky to be born to the right people. We're lucky to be born to the right places. We're lucky to get be in the right places in time. You know, Malcolm Gladwell talked about his, this in his book outliers, where he talked about how when you've had the richest people in history at different time periods, they all cl- their birthdays all cluster around a very short period because they all come to maturity at a time when an opportunity exists that lots of the people basically were exposed to, yet they were the winners of that opportunity. The railroad barons were all born within a very short period of time. The oil barons, like you know, the 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 Gettys and the and the Rockefellers were all born within a relatively short period of time. I mean, different 
different eras because different locations. But, you know, the example of like, you know, Bill Joy at, at, uh, at Sun Microsystems, uh, Bill Gates and, and Steve Jobs, their birthdays are within like a three to four year span. Right. They mm. all came of age in an era when they were young, that they could basically be early adopters and early understanders of the digital technology of, of computers. And they rode that wave. Right. And just mm. like, you know, the just like the social media, you know, millionaires, and I'm not exactly sure what the difference between uh, Jack Dorsey and, uh, and 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 Zuckerberg is in age, but I'm guessing it's not huge. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, you know, that's really interesting because one of the things that I recognized out of the uh, 2007, 2008, specifically uh, the market crashes, was I was actually of old enough to be able to see it and be able to study it and understand it. And so, or somewhat, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a whole world behind that that uh, good luck. Um, and I'm sure there's uh, lots of articles on the conspiracies behind all of that. But, but, just to be able to watch it. And um, and so now this time around, last year, forget about all the conspiracy theories. We we saw quite a quite an amazing uh, dip in the market, right, as a result of COVID. And, uh, and what a lot of people were asking, oh, what's going to happen? And now uh, I'll share this. I actually just pulled out the playbook from 2008 and said, okay, Here's what they did. They did this, then they did this, then they did this. Yeah. And, you know, and just kept kind of discussing. And people were like, oh, that's amazing. How did you know that this is what was going to happen? Because well, they were going to do it again? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. and so uh, I really feel like we're still in that opportunity, even though a lot of the opportunities, ask anyone in real estate. If they bought last year, they've made anywhere from $100,000 and up if they if they had bought real estate last year because that just went booming um but i would say that we're still in a huge boom uh moving forward uh just out of the dearth of last year Do, can you say anything to that what's your thoughts on that matter well i think if you want to look wrong just make a prediction um you know is it is it hard <laughs> to say that if uh, you know in fairness to your prediction and the wisdom of it the reality is um is it you know? Is it hard to say that governments would just turn on a tap if there was a massive structural worldwide crisis? No. What other choice do they have? What other choice right. do they have? Right. Like we saw the Great Depression before. We know what we know how that plays out. Right. Mm -hmm. So the reality is that's that's not you know. Would anyone have, have basically that 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 would happen to housing in Canada? No. I don't think they would have. I mean, there's always those who think that real estate grows at double digits every year. But I mean, that's because they choose to look at a chart that's only this wide as opposed to this wide. Yes. Right. Yes. Like when you look at the actual numbers that we can, whatever numbers we can get going back 100 plus years, you know, it typically is tied to inflation. We've had a bunch mm -hmm. of various reasons for why that's happened. So I will never make a prediction of extrapolation. At the end of the day, um, you know, there's the old saying on the market of being a short-term voting uh, voting machine and a long-term weighing machine. I think that applies to a lot of things in life is that, and what I mean by that is anything can happen in a very short period of time. And I think we've seen that a couple of times in our lifetime, right? We are living yeah. our children's history is, is the way it is the saying, right? Um, but long run, as long as Western society continues to exist, right? Mm -hmm. Certain things happen. Like, you know, companies continue to exist that make money. Uh, people continue to need homes to live in. I'm not saying that that justifies prices. But long, you know, is it am I am I am I crazy to say that I think in next year the market will be up, you know, 10 percent, maybe. 
am I crazy to say that we will be up substantially in 25 years? No, I'm not. I'm just basically playing the odds uh, that are that are basically, you know, short of a massive, massive structural crisis to society on the whole. It's a pretty mm -hmm. safe bet. So the reality is, you know, we, we spend and so it's a very monumental day because Robin Hood came became public today, um, a company that I despise on countless levels. Mm. Um, and, you know, the short termism of wealth which is basically, I think, hit a colony, it just hit a shortism of, of, of wealth creation in terms of a mindset, which I think hit, hit a maximum through a, like fever pitch in the last year because everybody was home and didn't have much to do and they had these stimulus mm -hmm. checks. And, you know, if they were lucky enough to keep their job, they were still making good money, but they had a lot, no, they had nowhere to spend it. So what are you going to do? Like, oh, I got to invest and deploy this capital somewhere, right? Whether you were trading crypto, trading stocks or trading, you know, housing, you know, short of listening to your advisor and actually making long-term decisions there was just this overwhelming noise on short-termism and we have seen that happen and that we have seen this dance throughout history it never ends well right mm -hmm. so i mean if you want to give information you know, if i want to give you advice to your to, to your listeners always have a very very long-term mindset yeah. right you know simple example i have more designations than i can count and, you know, people are just like, oh, you know, like I, I would do that, but I want to do this, this, I want to travel this, I want to do whatever else, right? There's a, there's a cost, there's a cost to all this, right? And at the yes. end of the day, right, it's like, you know, now I sit back and look at, compared to my peers, I'm in the upper 0.001% in terms of credentialing, and that, that pays dividends in countless ways. And yet everybody else is like, oh man, how'd you do that? Like, I don't understand. It's like, well, I did it all before I had children. I did it all before I did all this other stuff. And mm -hmm. you guys could have done the same thing, but you chose not to, right? Like it's, you know, right. at the end of the day, the success of tomorrow is paid for through the sacrifice of today. And no one wants to really realize that. And the top performers in any field I've ever met, athletics, medicine, business, if you ask them what it was like in their early days and how it would have took to get there, just massive sacrifice. Everything. Oh, that guy's so lucky. You know, good story about Jack Nicholas. One time someone said to him and just on a bad day, oh man, I, I wish I could swing a club like you. And he's like, no, you don't. And he's like, oh, no, I'm serious. I wish I could speak club. He's like, no, you don't. And the guy's like, what? What's wrong with you? He goes, do you, you want to, you want to basically be out there in the rain? Uh, you want to be out there on a daily basis in the rain and in the snow and whatever the hell else is going on, swinging a club until your hands crack and bleed on a daily basis to get my swing. Is that what you, is that the price you're willing to pay? Right. And that's the problem is that we all see the, we all see the payoff. We don't see, yeah. we don't see the cost. And the cost yeah. can be immense, immense. Yeah, yeah. Um, why would someone want to do it then? I think it's a very good question. Um, I think that the people who typically I see perform at those levels are actually passionate and deeply interested in what they're doing. Like, that's what it is. Like, if you're not... If you're not doing something where you actually want to be the best at what you're doing and you're willing to, and you actually are, you actually are just into, just curious and just want to get better and just build that better widget, right? Like, like you're not going to get there. You're not, you're not going to pay that price. You're going to end up somewhere yeah. in the middle, which, you know, that's fine. It's respectful. But if you want to be in that upper echelon, like I have a friend who, you know, got laid off his job five years ago. Okay. Yeah. And he basically you know, did some other stuff. And then finally, you know, got did some other stuff in real estate. And then finally said, I'm just gonna become an agent because he was actually feeding so much business to agents that he thought, whatever, this is dumb. And then when he got into it, he's like, you know what? I really love helping people find the thing that they love and the place they're going to raise their kids. And, yeah. and 
he I have never seen like I knew he was a hustler, but man, you can tell he loved what he was doing because the marketing, the hustle, all of it. You know, he even he even landed a spot on a TV show. But now, like in less than in less than six years, he's a top one percent. He's going to be a one top one percent agent in the country, right? Wow. But yeah, but I have been there for the entire ride. He's a personal friend of mine. I have seen the sacrifice. I have seen the amount of work. Yeah. You know, the average agent in the city of Toronto sells you know less than I think it was less than three, like more than 30, 35% of them sell less than three homes per year. No, like of those less than 20, more like 20% sell less than one. So like, you know, meanwhile, this guy, you know, had sold by mid year, almost 50, right. That is not by accident. That is because right. of just absurd amounts of time put in an effort and work and, and networking and staying in contact with people. So, you know, that's the reality is success. You know, Talk to watch the Tiger Woods documentary. Watch the Michael Jordan documentary. Look what those yeah. look at the price those guys paid to get where they got. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's really interesting to see what's a. I think we we actually have the availability of this knowledge far more now than ever before to to find out what did the elite do to get there. Yeah. And so we have it at our fingertips to be able to do that. And, um, but there, we're always trying to skirt well, we're it always, for some we're reason. We're always just want to watch him in their moment of glory. We want to see, yeah. you know, you, we, we want to see, you know, the likes of, uh, of like Jordan hit the, hit the buzzer beater. Right. You know, yeah. I think yeah. like there was an article on, I remember an article on Roy Jones years ago in, in sports illustrated about how his dad used to put him up against kids two to three years older than him when he was like not even 10 years old in boxing. Like, right. you know, just a really, like the stories were just a really hard man. And he, he ground, like he ground him into the rock that he is. Right. And, mm. you know, you think about that, even still the Williams sisters, you listen to the stuff that, you know, their parents put them through and it's just like, you know, like the dad literally made them into what they are. And there's mm. a price to be paid for all of that. Yeah. Right. And it comes down to, Maybe they're happy with that, right? But there's a lot of people on the way who are just not willing to pay that price, or that price yeah. drives them to the point of depression, right? Like, it, yeah. so, so the reality is, is that yeah, success is wonderful. Everybody wants success. We're we're talking about this in the middle of the Olympic and in the middle Olympics, right? Like, you know, um, you know, what's her face, uh, Penny? Um, oh God, I'm freezing out her name. The swimmer. Um, yeah. So anyway, so she just won. You know, is now Canada's most you know celebrated yes. medalist ever. And still, and funnily enough, the uh, Jerry D tweeted out, and still the second best athlete in her house because her brother plays in the NHL. Um, mm. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Um, the in her in her parents' house. So the, the you know she's like twenty something years old, like 21, 22 years old. She's still got multiple Olympics left to go. I can't imagine how much time that woman spent in the pool. I cannot imagine. Like she probably you know you know is probably a raisin at all times. But we don't mm. see that. We see the moment yeah. of glory on the on the podium, and that's what we want. Yeah. But you're right. We could very easily with a lot of these people where they've done these long documentaries, watch that and see that, wow, that's that's quite the price to pay to get where you are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, it, it's actually amazing to when you look at it and consider, is that something that you want to do? And I, I actually don't. I don't bemoan anyone for not wanting to do that. No, honestly, I think you're probably better off if you if you don't wish or have that desire. Uh, but if you do, you know, take it on with uh, eyes wide open. Well, and, I think and if, understand and what's correct you. If you have mm. the desire without the without the willingness, 
and the desire to, to, to basically commit yourself to it and in, and actually sincerely enjoy the ride, right? Like you have to enjoy yeah. that. Like yeah. you have to get something out of that. If that's yeah. you and you, but you're still delusional to think you're going to get there. That's, you know, there's a saying on, you know, stress is caused when, when basically expectations exceed reality. Right. Right. And that you're on the wrong side of that equation. Right. Right. But right. the other side of it is, and there's nothing wrong with it. Like who, you know, there's, to seven point something billion people in this world, right? There's, you know, maybe a handful of people that can be universally named by a billion people on the world, right? You do mm. not have to be like they're they're the number of massively successful clients I have who you would never know that they're at the top of their game in their industry, right? Like maybe right. they're known by a tiny little circle. I'm like my, you know, people are like, oh yeah, everybody knows you and fine. So I'm like, that's nice. This is a that's a tiny little universe, the tiny little pond in Canada that I am recognized by a subset of people. Right. But at the end of the day, like, you know, you don't have to be that. No one has to be that. Someone mm -hmm. will end up there, but you know, frankly, find the things that are going to make you happy. And if, you know, the reality is some of these people are paying the price in, you know, personal relationships, delaying, having children, mm -hmm. delaying, getting married, delaying, doing a lot of things that they can't, you know, while they're young because they're paying that price. Right. Mm. That's that's the cost of admission for that level of success. Did, did you have to uh, delay those those uh, treasures in your life to be able to uh, to get the uh, all those designations um, and to get where you're yeah. you are? I think that there was you know, there was definitely a cost to it. Right. Like when you exactly, especially mm -hmm. when you go out and start a business from zero at age 27 after earning OK money for a while. But the. The reality is, is that, yeah, like there were certain delays in life, like I, and especially when you start a business and you go back to zero and you got to invest money into it. And I was finishing my MBA at the same time. So it was all money out, no money in. Right. So other friends were buying houses. Can I afford to? Absolutely not. Right. There were certain things that were put off in life. Um, you know, what did I pay that on the personal side? You know, probably on some looking, looking back, probably on some level looking back because, you know, there's certain aspects of myself that I had to work on that mm -hmm. were put off because I was so busy with other stuff. Right. So, yeah, there's. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's certain yeah. things where, you know, I look way ahead in certain aspects of life, but other aspects, it's like, Oh, you only did that then. Right. Like, you know, it is, mm -hmm. it is different than the other people I know. And I just, we just had a different priority stack and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can say definitely for myself, what I found was cause I I've got four kids and along the way there were times where I did not give them the time that many other parents are able to give them. And there were times where, quite frankly, I just wasn't present for what yeah. was going on. And, and you know, that's something that every person, every individual has to deal with and, and decide what they're doing. Uh, I look back and go, okay, I should have, I should have spent more time. I should have figured out things, whatever. Even, I did what I did going forward is what, you know, what am I doing right now? Yeah, right? but I'll also say in fairness, I mean, like, let's yeah. talk about, you know, parenting, you know, I like to say meditation is the exercise of failing repeatedly and, and, just, yes. and just forgiving yourself yes. to some level, to a lesser extent, parenting is that same thing. Cause no matter, yeah. you know, you, you can always be better at it. You can always yeah, be better at absolutely. it. And, and, you know, the level, I think the, the difference is the level of guilt you feel for it is substantially greater <laughs> than, Hey, my golf swing sucks. I feel zero guilt over that, but you know, I don't spend enough time with my kids I feel yeah. terrible. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. You, you know, it's interesting. You were just mentioning about the Olympics and that. And 
you know, my uh, my daughter was uh, Alexia. Had, that was her name. Thank God. Ah, oh, came yeah. back to me. Penny Alexia. <laughs> there it is. Yes. Um, my my daughter was into gymnastics, and um, and she, you know, from a young age, and she was she would train all the time. Go to school, come home, train. She she got to a point where we were now looking to all right, we're going to have to flip the schedule. You're going to have to start training full time uh, and and study in between. And um, and there was that pivotal moment because she had to decide: is this what I want to continue doing going yep. forward? Now she ended up deciding not to. And um, you know, as a father, there's that small moment where you're like, oh, you know. Uh, because you you could see greatness, um, but at the same time, I can look at it and go, man, the price that she would have had to pay to to go from that point on is an immense price. And if you're not prepared and for it, would if too, that's that not something, yeah, and oh, ab- absolutely, that exact situation. His daughter made that choice, and his mm. his life. I mean, luckily his job is flexible enough that he can work around it. But his yeah. life is based around her training schedule. Right. right. So the reality right. is, is that it's also a tremendous, like the, the other, the other piece that be said that I haven't acknowledged to date is the sacrifices of those around you. Right? right. Like any business owner, I mean, the conversation I had actually with an, my local MP when, when the feds were changing the rules on, on small business, trying to do a bunch of misguided stuff that they ended up walking back a lot of, you know, he was, he was a business owner himself and he was livid and he was livid despite it being his party. And he basically said, like, I think the because there were there was this issue about splitting income with spouses if they received dividends and that not being fair. And he basically said, like, you know, the reality is, is that they are the people who came up with this under the delusion that these people do it by themselves. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, there is no successful business owner with a family whose spouse hasn't made tremendous sacrifices for them to get yeah. there. Right. Yeah. I look at my my own spouse, my children picture right over there. And the disproportionate amount of the parental work that she does compared to me, massively yeah. disproportional. I give her nothing but credit for it. There is no way my business would be where it is today with me having yeah. children if yeah. I couldn't count on her for that. And God forbid anything ever to happen to her. I can tell you my career tra- trajectory changes overnight simply because I would have to reprioritize my time in that direction. Wow. Right. Absolutely. So the reality Absolutely. is there is huge sacrifices by those people around you. <laughs> uh, well, you just put a bullet right through my heart as, as we're speaking right now. So I'm I'm in uh, Toronto at the moment, moving my daughter here, who's going to be going to school in the fall. Uh, and as I as we are recording this right now, my wife is off with my daughter, going and shopping for the furniture and things that she needs for uh, for school. While I'm here doing this, if and if that wasn't the case. I wouldn't even be able to be here and have this interview with you. Well, so I summer vacation, summer vacation <laughs> right now. Like my wife is off is, is with the kids right now. If it wasn't, it wasn't for her. Yeah. What would I do for two months? I have to pay for them <laughs> do for two months, but whatever, but it, you know, right. they're, they're better. They're better with her than they are with someone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. I, I want to actually ask them another question because you, you threw it out there and, and we kind of cruised right by it. You just mentioned uh, briefly about, uh, crypto, cryptocurrency. It's one of those ones that is always a hot button topic. Uh, people are, it, it, it's still fairly new in the world of assets, but yet everyone, t- some people will talk about the uh, blockchain technology in behind it. Some people will tell you that cryptocurrency is the only place you should be investing. 
you know, forget about all the other ones. You, you know, can can yeah. you add any sort of sanity to that world? No, there's no sanity to be added to that world. The reality is that there's way, like, there is no simplified argument behind all this. But let me just address one thing off the start. Define invest, right? Because the reality is, is that anyone basically making that argument is typically saying speculate. Because there is no, you know, when we talk investing in, in companies, for example, right? You have the, you know, you have your, you have two different schools of thought. You have active management where you basically try to figure out winners from losers and you look at the fundamentals of a company. You try to figure out which, which, you know, which one's going to do the best based on fundamentals. And then you have passive investing, which you basically are making a fundamental decision to, to support, to back, to, to, to say, I'm not going to, you know, not going to pick winners and losers, but on the whole, as long as capitalism and the rest of Western societies can continue, companies can continue to make money. And that is a fundamentally sound decision is to say that I can't pick winners from losers. Right. When right. it comes to crypto, there are no fundamentals, right? Like you can argue about the caps, like those are, like you can argue all that, right? Like, but it is just the same argument behind currency and gold. It produces no income. It does nothing other than exist. Now it is used for, can be used for transactions, everything else. That's fine. So here's the thing. I sound like a crypto skeptic here. That's not what I am. I'm a crypto, a crypto realist. So here's what it comes down to. Um, blockchain technology is the single most revolutionary technology to hit mankind since TCP IP, right? So basically since the internet was invented, this is the next watershed because this solves for so many problems we were living with on the internet before, okay? And I firmly believe that anything that was heavily process oriented, especially between companies, like things like cash settlements on your bank, right? Like stuff like that. At some point in the, in the future, I'm not gonna say near future because these institutions move at a glacial pace, that everything will be settled on a blockchain. Every transaction will be settled on a blockchain to some degree, right? Public, private, different versions of it, whatever else. So that underlying technology is utterly fundamental and fantastic. Then you have the argument for currency on top of that. So can it facilitate the use of online currency? Absolutely it could. That's what, that's what yes. it was designed for in the first place. Great. However... Currency now. Now, could you use it as a currency? Let's face it. No one's using Bitcoin as a currency. Like, let's just the transactional nature of it. It's it's very minor, right? Like, but here's what it really comes down to. Um, and I've had this argument before. You know, volatility. This is the real question. Okay, volatility, which is relative. Okay, when you look at if you're an American sitting in American dollars and you have one of the most stable currencies in the world, is crypto a, is is Bitcoin a currency to you? Hell no, it's not. Right? Because mm -hmm. What kind of currency are you going to have dramatic swings of 20 to 50% in very short periods of time, right? That is not a current, that it's it's a currency, but it's not a currency you basically can use as a currency, right? Uh, you can call it investment, but it's all speculation. Yeah. You know, we live in Canada. I will always make the, people will often say, well, it's too, it's too volatile for me to get into. My response is, well, like, I understand the volatility argument, but let's also face facts. I would say that a currency that goes from, you know, 65 cents to $1.10 back down to 80 something isn't exactly the picture of stability either it may take longer, but you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that this is relative. When you see some, you know, developing nations basically looking at utilizing crypto as an official currency or, or, or you're seeing like cryptocurrencies being utilized as a currency there, that's partially a reflection in the lack of confidence in their ability to use their own currency. Right. So it's relative for some people. It absolutely can be for the majority of people. It can't, but the problem is, and, and you know, I'm going to, I don't like quoting them too often, but Nicholas Nassim Tella, Taleb went off 
about how he's no longer looking at this stuff because he can't even, the problem is he can't even have an intelligent decision discussion about this stuff online. Like the crypto purists just try to ram it down your throat. And right. I had a case where I basically, um, I made, there was a, it was on Twitter. It was a Twitter exchange. Someone said something about crypto and I made a comment and then, you know, basically someone said tagged in his buddy to basically have the argument. And he's like, no, Jason, there's a difference between blockchain and Bitcoin. And my response was, yeah, I know. And I posted a link to my FinTech blog podcast, which is like over 150 episodes in. So I'm pretty sure I know the difference, right? And then he literally turns around. He's like, great, debate me on it. And I'm like, I reply back, like, you don't even know what my stance is. And you're challenging me to a debate? And his reply was, then he started coming up. It's like, well, I guess you think that like the, the cap on it is, is stupid or whatever, something like that. I'm like putting words in my mouth. My next response was, again, you just made an assumption. You you have no idea what my position is. What the hell is wrong with you? Right. Like, you know, like, but that is that is an inner that is an altercation that happens more often than not. It's like, oh, you don't believe it? I need to crush you, right? Versus yeah. like, and, and they're and they're so there's there's a lot of crypto believers out there that are just head in the clouds about this stuff and just you know want to believe it with religious zeal stay yeah. away from that right whereas the likes of Taleba left it the guy who created dogecoin i don't know if mm -hmm. you saw this went on a tweet storm two weeks ago just destroying the concept um and basically saying you know again it's not about the soundness of the technology that argument has merit no problem you know you want to talk about the brilliance of, of, of blockchain the brilliance of ether like not a problem you want to talk about this as an actual asset class that, you know, it can be used as an asset class. It can be used to basically be a record of actual things that exist, both in the yeah. digital and, and, re and real film. I actually yeah. interviewed on my podcast um, the woman who basically developed the Mars house, the first uh, virtual property to be sold for yeah. yeah. $700,000, like good on her. Um, and all the digital art she's selling now, like that's yeah. great. I have no problem with NFTs, but here's the thing. But you want to, you want to, but the, the, the problem is, is that, the reality is, is that it's just rampant. It's the most rampant form of human speculation since the tulip bulb. In um, the tulip bulb, uh, oh gosh, mania in, um, was that France? No, it was uh, the Netherlands. Netherlands, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I would agree with you. I'm not exactly sure what's fueling it. Greed? What else is feeling it in the mm. like, Don't get me wrong. Okay. There is a supply, there's a demand side argument, right? The demand side argument is such that um, you know, more people are finding more uses for it. And, you know, even, you know, just I actually interviewed Sam Safe uh, not that long ago. He is the create his company was the creator of the first Bitcoin ETF, right? So just mm -hmm. the ability for the just creating making it easier to access Bitcoin, right? I think back to the when I first found out about it back probably in 2009, my buddy was telling me about how he was mining and handling. I'm like, I'm out. Like, I'm out. Like, I, this is <laughs> like you like this is what I got to go through to use it. Like, OK, yeah. fine. Right. Um, and I think about how easy it is now. Right. I can pick mm -hmm. up my phone. Done. I think, you know, I can I can buy a Bitcoin ETF as part of a portfolio. It's done. It's nice and easy. So there is an access a demand side argument to be made about people's ability to access it. The question is, mm -hmm. why would they access it? And they want to access it because of just rampant. There's a couple of reasons. I mean, there's speculation. There's lack of faith in fiat currency. Like there's any number of reasons yeah. you, that are personal to you. Yeah. That's fine. You have your personal reasons. But to right. but it's like. I liken it to the conversations I had with the people when when league when lead, weed was going to be legalized in Canada. You know, yes. the people, the number, everyone and their cousin wanted to get in on marijuana. 
right? And there was just, and even the publicly traded companies, the projection numbers they put out on how much marijuana was going to be consumed in Canada. And I'm sitting there going like, anyone can get it already, right? Like, right. okay, maybe there's a, there's a pickup, but you're literally assuming that just because of this one regulatory change that suddenly everyone's going to basically see the world your way and everybody's going to start smoking it. Like, yeah. and you know, we're in, we haven't seen the full, I mean, we saw the stock market fall out, but I don't know about you. You're in Toronto. You can't drive down the street without passing 10 weed shops, right? Like I've literally yeah. seen weed shops. Like it's like, it's like Starbucks. We used to be back in the day where you have four Starbucks on different corners. You're like, what's going on here? You know, wait until those leases come due in five years, they're going to be gone. Right. The reality mm -hmm. is, is that, you know, when you, the, there's a, here's, I'll get into philosophy here. The most dangerous thing in the world you can do to yourself is to want something, right? Want mm -hmm. is the is is the most dangerous thing. Why? Because you will convince yourself it's not want, it's need, right? Yeah. Need is different. You need air. You need water. You need food, right? You need human connection. Those are things that we have proven through science. Okay, every you need shelter. You need clothing. Everything else, and every even tangents of that our choices right and we often act yeah. like nothing is it like we, we can't oh i had no choice but to do that no you always have a choice like short of the gun to your head you always have a choice right, right. you choose to do something we just don't yeah. want to take responsibility for it and the problem is is that when it comes to stuff like blockchain and when it comes to stuff like what i said with marijuana you cannot talk these people and, and to a greater extent canadian real estate you cannot talk reason to a lot of people because they want it to be true. They right. want it desperately to be true because if it is true, it means that the outcome for them is so wildly fantastic that they mm -hmm. are they have made a choice to bank their future on it to some degree. Mm -hmm. And that is dangerous because when you want desperately, you succumb yourself willfully to when you're desperate to want something, confirmation bias is how you live your life. Right. You ignore all information to the contrary and all you want to believe. Like I have this, you know, I'm a CFA and I don't believe in stock picking. Okay. And the number of times where like, look, I, I talked to the CFAs like, look, I, I, whatever, you know, I respect your opinion, but I still believe in this. And my response is, but belief is a, is a psychological construct. It's not evidence, right? Mm -hmm. It's not evidence. Like where is the evidence backing this belief? Like, you know, I think it was in the movie, it was in the movie uh, Dogma where Chris Rock's character said, um, I just want people to have ideas, not beliefs. People will go to war and die for beliefs, but an idea, you can, you can discuss an idea. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, Zen, philo you know, Buddhist philosophy, wanting, wanting is basically the, the, the root of suffering, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. From, <laughs> you know, know possible. It, I think part of, um, part of humanity is is that uh the want and i but i think part of perhaps maturity is uh, learning to limit those wants right choosing well, those wants not unintentionally allowing yourself to be uh adopting wants uh from the media and you know every yeah. other source right well, I mean, you know, I'm sure you had the same experience. Think about all the people you graduated university with. And there was a cohort who thought they were going to go out there and set the world on fire and, and be billionaires or whatever it was in no time. And you catch up with them 10, 20 years later. And man, have their ambitions changed. Right. right. You know, right. There's, the, there's, there's one solution for ambition. And it's life. <laughs> life will smack you in the face and tell you how realistic your ambition is. I mean, you know, 
funny story. The um, I think that this one person who my colleagues worked with, who, you know, the second he got out of university, he thought he was going to bring in all this business for his boss because oh, he went to the right he went with the right frat, and that frat had a lot of CEO, but like CEO guys. I'm sitting there going to myself like, you think that just because he went to the same fraternity that you know the CEO of a major borderline Fortune 500 company is going to turn around and give a freshly wet behind the years guy like all his business? There's a lot of guys who went to that frat. That's all I'm saying. And there's a lot of them right. who are more successful than you. And sure enough, like within within a couple of years, his his concept of what the successful achievement in his life had changed drastically. Right. Right. Absolutely. Oh, okay. So you know, obviously when you're younger, you most men are gonna want to set the world on fire. They're gonna want to do this, they're gonna want to do that. They've got lots of ideas in the world of finance. Because you've already been down that road, is, is that still a an area, a field that you would recommend people to get into? So it's interesting. The financial services industry around the world is different depending on domicile. I would say that if you were someone who's interested in the financial services industry, graduating from the U.S. and you want to help, pe- you want to help people. Let's just say, I'm going to focus on financial planning, right? Because this mm-hmm. is to me where the value is. Um, you have you have a lot of options in the U.S. In Canada, we are still behind in a lot of ways. And we're transitioning. So the problem is this industry typically wants to bring you in and every opportunity. We don't do a good job of nurturing people. We're not like we're not like uh, the law profession where there's you got an article and there's opportunities for articling or law or, or well, sorry, or, or medical where you have to basically do your time as a resident. Yeah. Right. We don't yeah. have that. Right. And the we've done a terrible job at succession planning as well. So here's the thing I will say. So there's a lot of, it's, it's not easy, but I will say is this, if you want to have a career where you can literally think about this, how many of your jobs do this, literally sit back and basically help people find ways to live the fullest version of their lives and have their goals and ambitions and dreams come true and literally be the conduit for helping them achieve and self-actualize their life then a career where you are focused on financial planning and delivery and with is is possible that that is something we can do absolutely and you can make a very good financial life uh build a very good financial living off of that you can the problem is those opportunities are few and far between right mm. the, mar- the majority of the canadian market is controlled by a disgusting oligopoly of five institutions that basically you know, as far as they're concerned, planning is a sales product. Now they're, they're trying to move more towards it, but just, I've written all kinds of articles on what's realistic in planning. Like the reality is, is that mm-hmm. there's only so many people you can service over the course of a year. There's only so many people you can know deeply and actually help. If you want to build that type of career where it's very fulfilling in my point, in my opinion, the most pot, the most fulfilling aspect of this type of, of lifestyle of this type of, of this type of career, that is something that is a long slog that has to be built over time. Right. Like, any other industry I've ever seen, the people who earn the most money coming out of university are the guys who know how to, who are willing to sell because everybody is, everybody is just so afraid of basically rejection by nature. We're all afraid right. of rejection by nature. The guys who can get past that and just focus on sales will do incredibly well. And guess what the industry looks for? The industry looks first and foremost for salespeople, right? It doesn't yeah. look for smart planners, guys who are willing right. to dive in the tax code, all this other stuff. Can you sell? Get in here. Here's a quota. Sell your friends and family. Keep going. That's where the opportunities lie. There are a handful of opportunities outside of that through teams that have evolved to a point where they want to focus on more comprehensive and detailed planning. Those opportunities do exist, but you got to hunt for them. 
And I'll tell you one of the greatest pains of my career. And then I have, I helped start an organization called the Financial Planning Association of Canada that is hoping to long-term fix this, fix a lot of the problems in our industry and make us a true profession. But mm -hmm. one of the things that causes me the greatest amount of pain is when I have bright young individuals who are like, I love everything you're talking about. This is the kind of career I want to have. Where do I go to start? And I just, my heart sinks because it's like, just start looking for any team that's hiring and it's 50% you interviewing them to make sure it's the fit you want. But at the end of the day, you might just have to take something to just get in the industry. You might mm -hmm. just have to do that. It's, it's painful. It's painful to me because I would love nothing more to be able to say like, Hey, we have a program where, you know, these planning century firms have all basically decided that they're going to, you know, bring in and groom planners and, and train them in an apprenticeship capacity. And then from there, maybe there's an opportunity for you or then you go off and start your own thing. Like such, that's the kind of environment we're seeing develop in the U S but mm -hmm. in Canada, we just, we're just not there. So I have to say, if you want that kind of, if you want that kind of career and that kind of life and that kind of fulfillment, then you got to find those opportunities. You got to hunt them out. You got to seek them out. It's not going to be easy, but it is really fulfilling when you do have mm -hmm. That's so that brings up something for me because I, I have people, People approach me all the time uh, claiming to be, I don't know, financial coaches, uh, some sort of financial advisor, some sort yeah. of this, that, and the other. Um, and, uh, you know, rarely do they make the mistake of actually using a designation. Um, but uh, but there, I know that there are different institutions, um, no, organizations that are out there trying to actively train people in in a second job or you know their own business you too can yeah. come in and um uh you know you can start this business without without much money and you can go in there now what i've noticed about some of these organizations without naming them is that there are people that are legitimately they legitimately care about people as opposed yeah. to some of these other institutions where it's literally all sales driven yeah but what i do see is that there is a lack of knowledge and training for these individuals because where's they're the doing incentive it where's the incentive right. the incentive so you know i'm not gonna more than most the majority of the banks i'll give you an example so yeah. um in order to be able to sell investment product um you need to have a certain course to get you know licensed to do so um, there were two avenues for this. One was the mutual funds license course. The other one was the Canadian securities course. And despite yeah. the fact that Canadian securities course has been rewritten about three or four times over the last 20 years, making it easier every time, in my opinion, um, the failure rates amongst the people at the branches were too high for many of these banks. So they basically moved them to say, take the mutual funds course, which is a lower bar, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the, and then, and then the, the, the training they give you from there, it's all like, it's all to meet their purposes, right? It's that's all to meet their purposes and their purposes are driven. Like they're publicly traded companies, right? right. You got a target to hit that number gets permeated all the way through. Do what you got to do to hit it. If you can do good along the way, great. But you know, you know, and I hear a lot of young advisors who are working at the bank say, Oh, we're doing some really positive stuff and all this other stuff. And my response is great. Wait for the recession, wait for the recession. When your financial plan doesn't become, become becomes basically, you know, something that doesn't lead to sales. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, wait for that and then tell me that they're committed to it. Right. Because they got to hit their targets. They got to increase their dividends. Right. Right? right. So the reality is, is that, you know, there is no. There is no like 
let me just let me join this organization and oh my god they're going to train me to be literally in the top one percent that does not exist in any career period right <laughs> it is right. a ton i spent it let's put it this way i spent a bunch of time my, my like the majority of my business at this point is specifically dealing with incorporated business owners and cross and cross-border situations people in the u.s right mm. the you know the u.s there's a u.s cfp which i have great that was great but explaining how these two tax codes work together and where the tricks and traps are that was all self-learning and and talking to other people in the space to learn it myself right mm-hmm. um, the the corporate stuff the there is no corporate cfp right like people are like oh man like how do i learn what you know on this i'm like osmosis like osmosis mm-hmm. and hustle like you have to like work with people who know this every time a question comes up where's the book i'm going to reference this so i understand the point and have to actually have intellectual curiosity to understand the entire thing because there is no course on this right so the mm-hmm. reality is is that yeah you know for all the designations i have the the knowledge that's most valuable is the stuff that i had to get outside of those because everybody else can get those designations too right, right. so right. The, the reality is yeah there's not a lot of training out there and there's not a lot of desire yeah. to train these people because training is what it's a cost right it's a cost yeah. it's time away yeah. from sales right yeah. so you know i had one person I worked with who I vehemently disagreed with him on this. And he's like, you know, I looked at that guy and he's got all these letters behind his name. And, you know, I think what was the cost of that? And he's, he's talking about the cost in terms of sales. And my response every time was, no, you're, you're failing to realize what the cost of you not having those things are, right. you know, that right. guy, you know, maybe he made less money for the 10 year period was at- accomplishing all that. But now do you think that you guys are billing at the same hourly rate? If we broke it down to that, you're delusional. Mm. Well, so how does someone, a regular Joe have any chance, any shot at figuring out some sort of financial planning? Like as a life. planner or as like no. someone as a consumer? As a consumer. So, okay. So if you are someone that has, you know, substantial or reasonable wealth, like, well, this, everybody's got different cuts, but let, let me just say that the odds of you finding someone to do a financial plan with you, for you under the conventional, and the, here's the thing. The business is planning is typically bundled in the, for the most part with investment management, and other services, right? Mm-hmm. So the odds of you finding someone to take you on a, a sub at a reasonable level, it's not just some sort of cookie cutter bank level thing is like pro- less than 250,000 is probably slim to none. Okay. So, right. Maybe you find some guys starting out, but so you're probably looking at 250,000 to 500 is a starting point for getting like into the category. Where we can get some real service, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there are some, there probably are some below that. But then you have, okay, so you're starting from zero. Let's just say you're starting from zero. Your alternative is is two, is basically there are fee-only planners that charge levels across that are, that can be comparable to what I charge for, for complexity. Or they will, you know, there is some that will do um, very basic start-off stuff that they, you know, for a reasonable price. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, people think that's unfair, but the reality is, unfortunately, wealth levels are generally a good correlation for complexity. Right. Like if you're at this level of wealth, odds are, you know, you probably got there through some sort of business or some sort of other thing. And that lends to all sorts of other complexity in your life. Right. Yeah. If you're, you know, yeah, you know, I'm not gonna, my wife's a teacher. So this is not me picking on. But if like you're a family of two teachers who both have pensions and you pay down your mortgage and you got a little bit of savings on the side and your kids are mature, you know, the odds that you need that much, there's that much complexity you're planning unless one of you is an American citizen is pretty slim. Right. Like, so there, there is a, there is a reason to that. Now there is a cut, there is a subset of you, of the, of the population that can't afford planning at any level simply because yeah. they couldn't afford to spend $1,200 on a plan, for example. Right. right. Um, so 
so the reality is, is that how does the average Joe do Joe have it? They have to ex- understand that there is there is limits depending on what they bring to the table. That's just any yeah. business, right? Like I can't go in and to and, and get by and do a McLaren dealership and expect to walk out if I don't have McLaren dealership money, right? Like that's just right. That's it, right? So right. the reality is, is that but there you, you got to understand what what your options are, which is difficult, and then you can't just take a title or a designation or anything at face value for what's going to be. There is no uniformity to how this business works across the board. Every individual advisor you have will have their own little practice. They will have their own process. They may sound a lot the same on on the surface, but they can be wildly different, right? So Mm -hmm. there is a degree, unfortunately, of due diligence that has to go on the the client side. Uh, More often than not, people typically ask their friends for for who they're dealing with as an advisor. Unless your friends are... You know, that's not necessarily the best way to go, quite honestly. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I, I actually, you know, if you're lucky enough to know someone who, you know, some of the examples I've seen, chief compliance officers getting asked, um, consultants to financial advisors getting asked, like trainers to financial advisors, like these guys who get the wholesalers in the investment business, people who get to see a large number of advisors and figure out what's who really knows what they're doing. You can't take your friend's, you know, word for it because your friend might be satisfied with a guy who's yeah. not very good. Right. So you got to do your due diligence. There's lots of checklists out there for questions to ask advisors. No, everybody should be every advisor in the business should be willing to answer those. No problem. Um, And and you got to interview a bunch. And I would say if you're looking for places to start, a couple of resources I'll give you. There is the Financial Planning Association of Canada website. We have a directory of members. We specifically every member takes a pledge to act as a fiduciary. So if they don't keep your best interest at heart and you report it back to us, guess what? They're out of association. Um, And then the Institute for Advanced Financial Planners, which is a very planning centric organization as well. Um, And those are the two places I typically send most people to start. But if you, you know, whatever reason, don't meet the criteria of whoever's there or don't like what you see, uh, FP Canada's website, which is the financial, which is the CFP designation. uh, They have a directory of financial planners all across the country. But do not just assume, Hey, I went to my back bank and they gave me a financial planner. So I'm fine. Like, yeah, you know, it's like saying, great, let's, you know, you and me, let's start a hockey team and let's just pick it random out of a hat. Who's going to be on our team. That's going to work right. out well. Right. Like, right. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. Like, what are the odds, yeah. the odds of me getting the odds of me like pulling Connor McDavid's freaking name out of that, out of a hat are damn near zero. Right. So <laughs> the reality is, is that there's, yeah. there's a, there's a, like any other business, like any other industry, there yeah. is a massive, massive deviation in skill sets. And you got to be careful yeah. about who you're de- who is you're dealing with. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you one final question. Sure. What what are you excited about going forward? Woo! In what capacity of my life? I don't know. Um, <laughs> what I'm excited about in my industry, let me just say that much. Yeah. Is that um, is twofold. One, there is a general global movement towards transparency, towards client digital rights, towards, I'd say, more away from sales towards service. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of everybody, every developed country I've spoken with, with advisor or develop some case developing countries I've spoken to um, where, where people are in this industry there's a general move towards those better principles. And I think that you extrapolate that trend over a long enough time. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of institutions will fight back on that. A lot of new tech companies are coming up specifically challenging, you know, those old paradigms and basically trying to be transparent and profitable at the same time. Like you're going to see, hopefully, I think you extrapolate that and the general populace ends up in a better place altogether. 
And the reality is a, a fair, just, accessible, mutually beneficial financial industry is paramount to the success of any nation, right? You know, the lack of access to financial services is something that holds a lot of developed nations back. The proliferation of it is, is one that basically makes things, you know, everything from starting a business to, well, starting a business, that's usually the big one, to starting a business to buying a home easier. Unfortunately, yeah. in Canada, we deal with a oligopoly that, frankly, I would love to break up, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, so that's the first piece. The second piece is that Canada's largely been behind a lot of, all even a lot of other places, but I'll specifically with the U.S. It's, you know, you go to a U.S. Mm-hmm. planning conference versus Canada, it's like, what magical wonderland did I walk into? Yet all the Americans are criticizing that it's not good enough. And you're just like, you have no idea what I deal with back home. Um, and, you know, down there, you can go to a conference, you can walk the floor, you can get set up as a planner for under 20 grand. You can, with less than 20 grand of overhead, walk an exhibit floor and basically find all kinds of custodians you can put business with, all kinds of financial advisor specific technology that you can buy, like for like CRMs to, to portfolio management, to, to reporting tools to whatever that you can basically buy. And then everything talks to each other. Everything talks mm-hmm. to each other. Like it is the, the ability to run your business digitally and basically automate tons of practices is just light years ahead of where we are. What excites me, and I spend a lot of time in the fintech world and I basically, you know, I have a podcast, I consult a couple of companies. Um, what excites me is that we're, we're starting to see that happen in Canada, but with next generation technology. What I'm seeing out of the US is a little bit, is legacy, quite honestly. And a lot of what we're coming out with now is like artificial intelligence driven and like, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, basically the ability to curate data in, in, in ways that basically allow for reporting that in dynamic ways that were impossible before. And these companies are starting to work together. And so mm-hmm. I look at where, you know, what I deal with on a daily basis. And I think to myself of where my, where my businesses will be in the next three to five years in terms of, the ability to automate and standardize and better deliver outcome uh, and kind of just all the heavy lifting of the business, just basically reduce that and make it, make it a button. I am super excited by that. Wow. Cause that, that allows me more time to engage in the things I love, which is helping people. Right. Right. And uh, it it almost sounds like, um, you know, the, not, not only just the uh, aggregation of all that information, but also being able to uh, having it available to you, um, through, I don't know, the, the algorithms that, that really break down that information for you is really what uh, allows you to make uh, a better decision on behalf of your clients uh, for, you know, for what, whatever direction they're wanting to go and how you're wanting to improve their life. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Well, listen, Jason, I know that you, uh, our time is, we've reached our time. I, I really do want to thank you so much for coming on. We just barely scratched the the scratch of the scratch of the surface. And uh, but I do really want to thank you for all that you just shared with us and created My pleasure. Uh, on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being with us. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you.